You're listening to part two of the Here in the Gorge live event from October 24th, 2019. If you want a little background on the podcast, then hopefully you listen to part one. Please note there is some adult language used in the following conversation. And now we'll pick up where we left off, inviting Terry Brigham on stage at the Columbia Center for the Arts in Hood River, Oregon. So to help welcome Terry up, um, I want to play a little bit of Terry being Terry, and then I'll have her join me on stage. Terry and her family are members of the Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Reservation. And that's really important to this story. But it was also a potential stumbling block, for me at least. I'm thinking of, of all the things that as a non-tribal person I get nervous about, or I think, I'm probably doing this wrong, or I avoid interacting because I'm afraid I'm going to like do something incorrect. In a long and bumbling way, what I was trying to get at was simple. What did Terry want me to call her? Native American, Indian, First Nations, Tribal, Indigenous? Trust me, if I could have avoided the topic, I would have. It's not easy getting to know someone by leading with, what label do you prefer? But I knew that for this story, it'd come up, and I wanted to get it right. For me, at the end of the day, I, I, I really give two shits what you call me. I know who I am. I know what people I belong to. I know my tribe and I know my ancestors. And the fact that, you know, people are wrapped up in labels instead of beings, you know, you and I have a different history. You and I have a different past, a different culture. So what do I got to figure out here, German or Irish or, you know, what, whatever. I, make, I mean, I get how they, I mean, because we're such low numbers, how people want to label us. But, you know, we joke around. We're Indian, we're Indians, we're, uh, <laughs> we're natives, we're First Nations, we're, you know, for me at the end of the day, you know, you as my friend, you know who I am. And... We don't need to have a label. I'm fine with being Terry, who's a fisherman and a captain and a hunter and a single parent of three beautiful children. That is Terry. Welcome her on stage. Hey, lady. Um, I should tell you that uh, there is one piece of that uh, description of herself that was incorrect. Or is now incorrect? Is now incorrect, yes. Because, how, how long ago? Month? Uh, July 20th. July 20th, Terry got married. <laughs> so, if I had a spotlight, I would shine it right here <laughs> on, her, on her sweet love. So she's no longer a single mother of three beautiful children. She is just a mother of three beautiful children. So, congratulations. Um, so I don't know if I've ever told you the story about, um, and if I have, I'm going to tell you again. So <laughs> you guys can hear. So those of you who know me know that this episode took me a really long time. And part of it was because the storylines and the characters kind of kept uh, just falling through. They weren't working. It just wasn't, wasn't happening. And, um, and so I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And we were driving home from Portland one day, and... I knew about Brigham Market. I'd heard about the Brigham Market. 
And I was like, we're just going to stop in there. I'm going to see if I can find, you know, I, I did my detective work. So I knew about you and Kim, your sister. <laughs> and I came in and I was like, um, you know, are either, are, are either the Brigham sisters here, I think. And they were like, well, Kim doesn't like to talk to people, but Terry's here. Just <laughs> <laughs> true. Kim <laughs> she does not. <laughs> and Terry came out and I was, I was nervous because I was like, oh, you know, Another person coming in asking, you know, tell your tell your story or whatever. Okay. <laughs> I was nervous. They came in and they're like, uh, "Someone's here to see you." I'm like, "And you told them I was here?" <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I should tell you when Garter, my husband, went in, like probably a year later. He was there, I wasn't there, and, and uh, he, you know, he, knew, he knew you because he's been hearing me talk about you. So he was like, oh, meet Terry. So he asked if Terry was there. And whoever was working the front was like, hey, Terry, some white guy's out here looking for you. He was the third one that day. Oh, really? Hi. <laughs> All you white guys, leave her alone, OK? It was uh, somebody from Inner Tribe, or, you know, so they with him, but you know, he ended up being the third one that day. So. Hi, sorry, Gardner. <laughs> um, so, will you? He wasn't supposed to hear that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he did, though. Um, will you tell us, give us some background for people who don't know about the Brigham Fish Market? Tell us maybe what's in Cascade Locks, but maybe tell us how it came about. How did this whole thing start? I mean, it's got your, your last name on it. I'm about to drink your wine. <laughs> yeah, don't touch that. <laughs> I'll move it for you. <laughs> um, I think we're going into our sixth year now for five and a half. Um, it was actually the city that approached my sister and said that they wanted to build and, you know, needed tourism. And what about doing a market? And that was at a time where the fish runs were sustainable, they were, you know, yeah, we probably could do this. So, yeah, my sister and my brother-in-law went for it. He cashed out his 401k, she got grants, loans, whatever was needed, parents got involved, and, and away we went. Um, it's been a learning experience, you know, everybody says two or three years, you're good. Yeah, they're lying. <laughs> you know, because we learned everything the hard way. You know, we, we know how to fish. We know, we know what's, you know, how to sell, but, you know, we don't know overhead and this cost and that cost. And, and, and then when you figure it out, we're like, oh, shit, we're barely giving, giving it away. Yeah. So, you know, and my parents had thought about it. They said, you know, over the past, you know, since we were little, but the runs weren't sustainable. We had a year where we fished for three days. The whole year? For, for fall fishing. And fall fishing is typically August 15th to October 15th, every day, for some years. I remember those years because dad was exhausted. Yeah. He was gone. Yeah. But then there was another year where it was three days. So it wasn't sustainable. And. Uh, they ran into all kinds of problems thinking about it too, but you know, when the port approached Kim and mom and dad, they're like, okay, yeah, hell, let's go for it. And it started out, let's put a little food cart on there. And they're like, nah, you need to build a building. <laughs> you need to yeah, build a building. Yeah, you need to build a building. 
So, you know, like $250,000 in loans and buying the property outright for $100,000. Oh, yeah, sure. Could have just put just a kidding. fucking food cart here and started out. <laughs> They're so trendy, too. But, yeah, so, and, you know, the building looks great thanks to Kim. Yeah. You know, she was she was the person behind and her husband's construction. So he yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to give you my mic. Jesse, do you mind? I'm going to give her my mic, and I'll just use the handheld, okay? Yeah, do it. Because hers is, I don't like moody mics. Okay, thanks, you guys. This is part of the experiment here. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. This is where it's like, you know, it's like you get to see the really cool behind the <laughs> scenes. This is it. This is what happens behind the scenes with me. Thanks, fucking up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's appropriate you got a moody mic, huh? Appropriate, <laughs> yeah. All right. Tuck that back. Just... Remember it when you stand up. Okay. Okay. Uh, can you turn it off, Jesse? You want me to turn it off? I'll turn it off. Okay. Take that. Ha ha. Yeah. All right. Guess we should have tested that. Hi. Off. Oh, well, that's way better. No, no. There. Yeah. You'll be good now. Um. Okay. Perfect. Hi, Hi Terry. Hi. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> okay. Um. Okay. Will you? Um. Well, first of all, when people come into the market, if you guys haven't been in there. Um, will you tell them sort of like what that, what, what are they going to see? Because this is not like your, this is not, this is not your Safeway seafood selection no. here. It's, it's, uh, you walk in the door and there's a 12 foot case of, we hope, fresh fish. <laughs> we try to provide that. I mean, the fish will all be fresh, but they won't always, it won't always be a full case. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, even we try to stock up like we stocked up fall. That's so true. we're putting in yeah. frozen, but local. Yeah. We try to do local as much as possible. We smoke our own fish. Um, there's a menu behind behind the the case, and then you start looking around, and there's pictures of Salila Falls and my parents and my sister and I. I think we were, I don't know, five or six or four or five, trying to hold a sturgeon's head up, and my mom dressed us like twins. <laughs> They're not twins. <laughs> they were not twins. <laughs> she's, she's 11 months younger than me, but we were, I don't, God, I think it was eight before she stopped dressing us like twins. <laughs> we'll take that up with her later. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, there's, on the other side, there's um, pictures of my mom's dad at Salilo and pictures of my dad and my uncle and his dad and then a picture of just Salilo, and then a picture of my mom and dad. You know, we try to keep it, um, you know, so people know it's family, and, and there's a story to, we have a story to most of those pictures. Um, well, and I think that, that one of the things that I knew when I first came in that, that day was um, not only, so you have three generations of people fishing, and then um, all like what, 95%, most of the seafood in your market, if they're not caught literally by you and your family, it's by someone else from a local tribe, is that, or from a tribe, or for the most part? Yeah, somebody on the river. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, sorry. Tell us how it is, Terry. <laughs> Tell us the truth. So we do bring in like halibut, fresh halibut. She tries to bring in fresh yeah. stuff and, and um, clams and oysters, people like that, and, and crab too, and you know, and the, the craziest comments is, you know, is this halibut fresh? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, is it local? 
Alaska local. <laughs> <laughs> to someone it's local. I'm like, yeah, it depends on where you're from. And I'm like, all right, somebody else needs to help them. <laughs> I mean, it's right. I'm yeah. not the most patient person in the world, but <laughs> I try. Um, so uh, one of the things that I want to make sure you share about is you have to wear different hats. So sometimes you're out on the river as a commercial fisherman. Sometimes you're out as um, subsistence or ceremonial. Or Can you just explain sort of the different fishing you do, what that goes to? and the, It's not that simple. No. There's four tribes that have rights on the Columbia River. And um, reserved rights, not given rights, reserved. And every year we get to do ceremonial subsistence for each tribe. And we get like, uh, our goal is based on the estimated numbers, a percentage to just bring back to the tribe, hand out to people who can't fish, elders, um, and then store for the year for namings, deaths, um, first foods, well, the first foods ones are fresh, but you know, for, for any ceremony or like I said, death or birth or, you know, um, so each tribe gets to do that and each tribe gets a certain number kind of based on the number in their tribe also. But, uh, every year you would tell a tribe, there has to be tribal fishermen to apply for the permit. And 90% of the time, my dad is the only one who applies for the permit. Has it always been like that? Or, or did it used to be like, like there'd be, okay, who didn't listen to me at the beginning about your cell phone? <laughs> okay, you're lucky it's dark and I can't see you. <laughs> and it's kind of mellow, but we did hear it. Yeah, there was. <laughs> we tried to play it off. I know we did. Terry and I were like, play it cool, play it cool, turn it off. But it just went a little too long. A little bit too long. <laughs> Awkward! <laughs> Oh, good Lord. All right. <laughs> um, shoot, no. <laughs> so, so that surprised me when, when you, so only, for the most part, your dad is applying to do this fishing for the whole tribe. Yeah. There's been a couple, you know, other people, but, you know, there's some fishermen that aren't as honest as others. Yeah. <laughs> so we make sure that what we catch, it goes straight back to the tribe. Yeah. Um, every tribe has their own fishermen that, and, and their own process, how they can apply for permits. Like Nez Perce, they can apply to catch 20 fish for five members of their family or something like that. And then a group of them will go down and fish. And Yakima will apply for 10 permits where they can catch five each. I believe ours is the only one that the whole thing is handed to the the fishermen who ask for it. You know, there's been years that there's been three boats, it's Umatilla or two, but a uh, run is smaller and smaller, so it just ends up being dad, yeah. dad and I. Yeah. Um, will you, um, so one of the things, and Terry, Terry, I loved how often in the tape of Terry, I would ask her a question and she would start with a sigh. Like, oh, God, another one of these. Um, and some of you guys who may have seen, I didn't have a ton of posters up for this, but, but um, I put some posters up and, and basically, 
front and center was something Terry said to me. And it was certainly a bit jarring to people who didn't know what you were talking about. And um, I apologize if it jarred you. It is, I mean, that's kind of the point, but um, it is a, part, is a part of Terry's way of life and anyone who fishes, um, really, their way of life. Um, and so I'm going to play you one of the questions that got a little bit of a sigh, and it will also explain to you what Terry was saying in that quote. How do you actually get, a, I mean, a huge, writhing, wiggling fish out of a net? Uh, first of all, you club it. <laughs> so it quits wiggling. <laughs> and then there's the cork line and the lead line, and you just kind of run it down. Um, so she's clubbing a fish, and then so it stops wiggling, so you can get out. I mean, and actually, last week at Sense of Place, uh, Buck Jones was here. He's like, I knew right away what that was. <laughs> That was fishing, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so at the end of that quote, uh, you hear sort of what a lot of our conversations would go like, is she would sort of like, like, well, this is obviously you do this, and this is why you do it, and, and then it's, so it's this other thing. And I'd be like, well, I don't know what that other thing is, so you need to explain that as well now. So um, one of the things that I <laughs> would love for you to do is to help anyone else who might have questions like I do. Explain, I know you do a number of different types of fishing, but let's start, will you tell us how um, the net, the gill net fishing works for you? Like, what's that look like? Okay, so sighing is, uh, is not just because I'm annoyed. <laughs> 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 it's like, okay, this is going to take a long time. <laughs> but, I can take it, Terry. Uh, but sometimes I'm annoyed. I get sighed out a lot for my questions. These people know. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, Gill netting. What the heck? Are, what the heck do you do when you gill net? These are the white boxes you guys know. If you see them out in the Columbia, yeah. Those are buoys, and uh, a lot of them are there to just mark a fisherman's spot. Um, mine are out there, so year-round people know that those are somebody's property. You know, it's like you owning a house. That's my property. We've fished it for generations, and meaning like a specific spot in the river. Yes, like this hole. Don't go come. Right. Fish in this, yeah. Right. So, um, what we do? I mean, just putting out the net is the end of the the end of the day. You know, there's prep work. There's um, patching the net to make sure it's there, and you need a different size for different places that you're fishing. What do you mean different size? Um, I have a 90 foot net that I fish in the back eddy around Wyeth uh, to a 325 foot net depending on how I want to fish it. And then my dad typically just fishes 400 foot nets. And those are all set nets. But if you drift, then there's... Wait, no, hold on. What does that mean, a set net? Set net means it's tied to, <laughs> tied to the shore. Okay. And then there's different kinds of set nets. There's tied to the shore, and then they're anchored, and there's a buoy. So you always have to have a buoy so you can grab the rope and pull the damn thing up. Okay. Otherwise, it's just... Float down then, the river. then it's a drift net. Yeah, it's a drift <laughs> net. one. Yeah, one you don't want. <laughs> and then there's drift fishermen. Um, they can have nets, depending on the tribe, anywhere from 800 to 1,000 feet. And they throw out Whoa. the front part of the net, and then they back down and drift down, down river. Okay. You know, and then pull it back up and then start all over again. But uh, I have yet to do that. That is something I definitely want to do. Um, do you just, have to have like a certain, a different kind of permit to do that? Then? No. Okay. No, so you, can, you just typically need a different boat. Oh, okay. Mine's pretty just little. Just another boat. Just another boat, you yeah. know. <laughs> another boat, different kind of gear, deeper gear. You got to know 
know what part of the river that you're fishing because if you get it too deep then it's snagging on stuff and, and oh and, i didn't yeah. think of that yeah so you gotta okay figure out the current too and which way it's going to drag you if it's going to you know by why sometimes um it goes to the oregon side and you got to pull it to the washington and other times it it takes you down the washington side the way you want to go you just kind of figure it out as you go and okay. drift netters fish typically at night okay so there you should totally be a drift netter <laughs> right yeah you're not a morning person <laughs> oh, this is like god your... no okay we can talk about that later. yeah okay so <laughs> one of the things like terry so she explained a lot of this to me and then she, and she, then she would try to explain like the, the fishing seasons which those of you who are fishing fishermen probably know that this is all complicated um but i certainly i hadn't i didn't know what i didn't know for sure um and one of the things that um, sort of came up in talking about this unique knowledge was uh, this thing that Terry told me. There's this like fallacy that fishermen are stupid. It's the same fallacy that farmers are dumb. You know, if you know what it takes to figure out the acreage of what you need to plant to this, that, and fishermen, you know what it takes to figure out the math to hang a new net, to know what you want to fish for, the mesh size, the, where you're fishing at, or if you're drifting, if you're set net. I mean, it's a different intelligence. Which I, I mean, I, th I think a per particularly living in a valley where we have a lot of farmers, where there may be some misconceptions about what it takes to work with mother nature in that way. Um, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just simply put, the equipment you need to have. I mean, I have one boat that's $60,000, you know, and that, that, that was custom made and a brand new motor and God forbid the upkeep on it, you know, and, and it's the equipment in itself, you know, and to hang a net, you know, fathoms to feet, so do you need to hang it loose? What kind of fish are you fishing for? Um, is there a mesh restriction, like eight inch for fall typically, seven for springers because they're smaller fish. And then if you're sturgeon fishing in the John Day pool, uh, we typically use nine to eight inch mesh because we want the bigger sturgeon. And the sturgeon down here in Bonneville pool look like tadpoles, so they're... So you <laughs> want it bigger so that the little ones go through and you... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, otherwise you're going to be there all down one net if you just... You know, you, you got to figure out what, what you're fishing for and what you need and, uh -huh. and what kind of current you're setting it in, too. Which is all changing all the time. Yeah, constantly. Yeah. So one of the things, um, maybe a, a year or so ago, after I talked with Sherry and, and was starting, you know, to work on this, I was with my family up at Syncline. And I had, you know, one of those really cold winter days where you're like, let's go see the ice, the waterfall that's turned to ice. And the kids are like, no. And you're like, mm, put all these clothes and we're going to go do this. And we're having fun. Gosh darn it. And so we're hiking at Syncline and it's freezing. And, and my kids are complaining and miserable. And frankly, I think my husband and I were also that way, but we were trying to be tough. And as we're walking back, I look out at the river and I was like, man, it would sure suck to be out in the river today. And as soon as I thought that, I was like, if Terry's out in the river and so I, I got back in the car and I texted her and I was like you're not fishing today are you and she just goes lol of course I'm fishing <laughs> and I was just like I mean my hands alone I would I would I would be such a bitch if I was out there and and so <laughs> I think you know some of us who maybe you know fish for fun you know you fish 
maybe, I mean, you still fish in some miserable weather, but when it's your job or when it's something that you're doing for a larger group like the tribe, like, you don't really have a choice. Like, in the middle of winter when it's crappy weather, like, you, yeah, you gotta yeah. be out there. Oh, don't play you have it a choice. Cool. You have a choice, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's what I do for a living, so, you know. Do I want to pay my bills? Do I not want to pay my bills? <laughs> well, what I'm getting at, tell me, because um, you shared some stories about some horror stories of what it's been like for you out there, like some of the, on some of the rough days. Um, yeah, I do tagging also for um, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and we start December 1st. We try to start December 1st. And if we don't catch our quota, we go until... January 31st, which, you know, that time of the year is the colder part. Um, and then if we, then we're done January 31st, we pull out all our gear and then commercial season for tribes start February 1st. So we pull our gear, throw, I mean, pretty much throw it on the ground because then we have to get to it later and then put our commercial gear into our boat and then go out the next day and put it out so we can start fishing. But, you know, there are, Days when it's, I mean, it was one of the days it was zero degrees and um, the water was hitting my rain gear and instantly freezing and, and you don't move too much if you don't have to. But of course, in that weather, it's, it's rough and, you know, four or five foot waves and you're just kind of going. But um, you don't want to really move until you have to because when you move, the ice flakes um, can come off and get into your eye and cut your, cut your eye. So, you know, it's kind of a, okay, which way is the wind blowing and <laughs> which direction does he have us in? And, um, you know, and those, those are cold days. You know, wind chill was, I think, a negative 11 is when it ended up making it. Yeah. And it'd be nice if you just go out one net, one net, one net, but no, you got to go out to one net and travel a half a mile at 40 miles an hour down the river and... and yeah, that's when you freeze. I mean, I have... What do you wear in your hands to keep... I mean, my hands are cold right now thinking about that. You see, I'm tucking. Yeah. I have a liner, then I have a um, heat, whatever you call oh, okay. it. okay. And then I have a thicker pair of rubber gloves. Okay. You put too much more on it, then it cuts off your circulation and you're cold anyway. <laughs> so and you just got to resign to the fact that you're going to get wet, you're going to get cold, and just suck it up and keep going. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what were you doing when you dislocated your shoulder? Um, honestly, yes, moving, <laughs> moving something very small. I think it was, uh, some ropes on the boat. Yeah. Okay. But it was cold as shit. I mean, I, I had been on some cold water, but it was, it was cold. And I just happened to turn one way and I was like, what the fuck was that? Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like... Pat goes, what's wrong? I'm like, I have no clue. I have no clue right now. I said, but that can't move up higher than this. And guess I'm left-handed for now. Thank God the day is done. Yeah. <laughs> but I figured it out when I got home and I, my littles were ready for bed and went to lay down. And I lay down on the bed. I was so freaking tired. And it was the loudest pop I've ever heard in my life. And it just snapped right back into place. I'm like, oh, okay, now that's what it was. Oh, that's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> yeah. It was really fun fishing the next day, oh, too. God. <laughs> um, one of the stories that Terry shared with me that um, I didn't even see coming and, and then she was sharing it, that I, I, it just, 
it wasn't it didn't make it into the episode but it really um, stuck with me that I wanted to share with you um, is about one of those days you know one of those hard days you better have some damn tissue we were saying last week <laughs> hold on you can't be talking when we're t- We almost sank last week. It was so scary. You know, shit happens out there. It happens quick. And uh, the only thing I wouldn't do was uh, make sure that my niece and nephew made it to shore. But we were literally in seconds, a foot of water, that wave. I mean, I knew we were coming into something nasty. And I told him, I'm like, we're coming into a nasty set. Hang on. I slow down. And I was heading into it head on like I'm supposed to. And this wave. This, I hate saying this rogue wave. I mean, it's just, you know, people that don't fish, they don't understand it. You know, you don't ever see it. You know, you're not out there enough to know it. But this wave came and pushed us sideways. And that's when that water came over. I already knew we were going to take on water, but I didn't think we were going to take on that kind of water. And it came over. And like I said, we were, we were at least a foot in water. The gas tanks were floating. All kinds of shit was floating. Uh, I have an automatic bilge pump. I'm like, the bilge is going to start working in a second. And my nephew grabbed a bucket, and he starts bailing. And my niece started grabbing the bucket. They grabbed a bucket. She starts bailing. They're hand bailing. I flip on the other switch because I have a manual bilge, too. And... And I'm like, oh, fuck. Just get straight. Just get straight. You got to get straight because you can't. That shiftable weight, all the weight you just took on and that shiftable weight. I'm like, just get fucking straight. That's all I want to do is get straight without hitting another wave. And I, I did. I finally got straight. I mean, everybody did everything right. Everybody did everything right. I mean, if, if we'd have done something wrong, if they would have panicked, if they would have been in front, if they'd have, all, you know, it'd be a different conversation. And uh, <laughs> we got the water out of the boat, and then we went and set our gear. I know you suck. (laughs) (laughs) So, do you ever have, um, like, at the end of the day, like that, think, you know what? I've done this fishing thing. It's time for something else. On that day, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I am. That was a hard day. That was a hard lesson. But it was definitely a lesson learned. You hope you don't ever have to learn those lessons. But, 
you know, that day, that shitty ass day, we, <laughs> Brigham and I went back out, uh, you know, we went back out for the rest of the season. We had work to do, but uh, it was never that rough. And this last year, I think second week left, it just steadily starts getting windier, you know, through fall season. And we went out, like I said, same beginning of the same story, nothing rougher than we'd ever been in. We went out and it just got getting worse and worse. And I just looked at him and, okay, here we go. We went right through it, got our shit put out, heading back. And he's like, were you nervous? And I'm like, yep. He goes, I go, you? He goes, a little bit. And I, I said, you know, any captain that doesn't tell you or doesn't admit that they're afraid, those are the ones I would be afraid of. Because, you know, unless you're out there by yourself and you're like, fuck it, I don't give a shit, let's go. But <laughs> that hardly ever happens. You know, because you're responsible for somebody else's life. You're responsible to have to tell them that, you have fucked up and broke their arm or, you know, they're not coming back or, you know, it's. And I think, I mean, that was one of the things that was surprising. Like, it's not like you've had seasons where other tribal fishermen have died. Yes. There were, um, God, I want to say it was 10, 10 years ago that we had lost somebody every season. So it was ceremonial, spring, summer, fall, sturgeon. It was just a long list of losing somebody every season. And, uh, you know, it hit the tribes hard. We're, we're four separate tribes, but, you know, a lot of people are related and, you know, family and friends. And so, yeah, I mean, thankfully we haven't gotten into that kind of a year again. I don't. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard, to, yeah, it's yeah. hard to fish in, but you know, there's other things too. I mean, uh, I don't let anybody on my boat without a life jacket. And if you think you're tough enough, you can stay on shore and be that tough. Because <laughs> 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 I'm not telling your family that I let you on my boat without one. Mm-hmm. And the life jackets are better. You know, they have the vest ones that once, if you hit the water and you go too deep, it automatically. Back in the day, I didn't wear a life jacket either. All those buckles and stuff, they were more dangerous and drag you out over the boat and then you'd go down with the net. So, I mean, and a lot of people are used to fishing that way with that one. They think it's uh, too bulky or too, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, nobody gets on my boat without a life jacket on for those days specifically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> When I, I was telling my father-in-law maybe a year and a half ago uh, about this project, and I, was, and I was kind of telling him, like, oh, here's the, here's the story and telling about you and kind of different stuff. And he was like, well, I need to know, I need, I need to understand what those things are, the wood things that go out over the water. <laughs> um, so do you mind telling us? what those wood things are that go out over the water. (laughs) Sorry, John, I'm sure he said it in a much sweeter southern way. They're scaffolds. A lot of people call them platforms. We call them scaffolds. Um, They're just because they hang over the water. You know, they're not just platforms that sit on the water. Um, It takes definitely a specific, you know, my my uncle, I think he could have been an engineer with the, the little city that he's put together in Fort Rains. I mean, it's, 
Yeah. So, and I should say, like, so these things that hang out the water, they're um, for fishing. Yes. They're for that fishing. Was yeah. yeah, they're for fishing. Um, some of them are for, you know, depending on what kind of net you're using, or if you're dip netting or you know, you're staying there. Um, the ones in the locks, if you ever go down there in Cascade Locks, um, we typically are there in June and someone's standing there holding the pole and holding the line. What's that mean? Hold a pole and so you got a pole. But what's the pole connected to? <laughs> Walk us through. The pole is connected to a hoop net. Oh, oh that. thank you, <laughs> Jesse. You guys, Jesse. <laughs> thank you. I thought for sure that was my son, so I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> no, it was just my child. Okay, no. so tell me about scaffold fishing. The pole's connected to a hoop net. Um, not too heavy, but it's definitely going to be heavy. And then there's a net because you're in a back eddy typically, and, uh, and then there's a string tied to the net. So when the fish hits the net, it pulls on the string, and you go like hell. See if you can beat the fish getting it out, or it, it fish turns around and swims back out. Oh, so they will, they, they'll swim out? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's one of them that we typically do in June. Um, it's shad season, sockeye, steelhead, summer Chinook and then there's other ones where there's no pole attached to it there's ropes you throw the hoop net in the net's significantly longer and you just kind of sit there and wait until a couple go in and then you go clean it out and, and throw it back in but so it's scaffolds and then there's dip netting where the hoops I don't know not, not bigger than this typically and not very deep and you stand on the, the wall, the wall in Cascade Locks is the, the old locks, and you take the net and you just you run it through, pick it up, see what you catch, nothing, try it again. But when the shad's running, you're constantly, I mean, that's a workout. But, so there's that. There's, yeah, definitely, definitely scaffolding, gill netting. Okay. So, um, <laughs> and drifting, yeah. <laughs> so this seems like not a very good, I mean, it seems like kind of a hard way to fish. Like why do you, why, why do stand on this sort of like precarious thing over the water when you could be out in your like fancy boat with, I mean, why, why keep scaffold fishing? Um, well, some people are afraid of the water, <laughs> afraid of boat water. You know, but if you you fall in, it's kind of tough there then too. <laughs> but um, my sister doesn't like rough rough water. She'll go out when it's flat, calm, and it's an easy ride. But typically, then something goes wrong too, and and she didn't like it then either. But like one day we got hung up on a on a log, and so we were. Yeah, it was crazy. She didn't like that. But you also, I remember a story. I don't think I have it here, but I remember a story about, um, hey, Rye, are you good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Thank God she doesn't wear heels. I know, Jesus. <laughs> um, but so your sister, Kim, who doesn't particularly like being out in a rough boat, uh, she did have a scaffold collapse, right? Yes. She went out to check the, um, to check it and... You know, the logs are pinned up against the rocks, and then you have vertical, those are horizontal, and you have the two by fours basically across that, so you can walk out there, and then the vertical ones hold it, and cables, and 
all kinds of other shit that my dad does. <laughs> but uh, my sister was on one, and, and uh, Brox must have been shifted, and she's at the end of it, and she looks over, and her husband's yelling at her, and she's running, and he grabs her and kind of threw her on shore, and, and it collapsed. And being my sister, who she is, she just laughed her ass off. She goes, oh, shit, that has sucked. <laughs> She doesn't need to check it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. She's like, all right, we'll just pick it up later. <laughs> um, I want to play something. Um, I'm going to give you a, a chance to clear something up. Oh, yeah. Um, and sh Terry shared this with me. And I share it now because I've heard this from other people, both uh, uh, tribal and non-tribal. So um, we'll just listen, and then we can clear it up. I don't know, it's not as easy. It's easy to say, you know, they were savages, they were this, they were that, and, and just dismiss us. I mean, I've heard of people that, oh, Indians are still alive? They still exist? Do they live in teepees still? I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. Terry, do you live in a teepee? <laughs> It's a big ass teepee. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, I mean, we we joke, but I I will tell you that last week at Sense of Place, um, we had a woman who who said she she was also uh, she was a member of uh, the Yakima, and someone stopped her in the airport and wanted to take pictures with her. So, yeah. oh God, I get. Can I touch your hair? Can I break your hand? I mean, really? <laughs> oh yeah. It, Constantly want to touch Indian's hair, but you know, it's uh, for for us. It's it's where we draw our strength. It's um, what do you mean by that? It's what where we get closer. It's we get our strength from our hair because it's it's longer and closer to Mother Nature and and Creator. And when there is a just a little bit of insight, when there's somebody um, who passes that's close to you, then and they they cut off their hair to just kind of numb stuff and let it come back slowly because you're tied that into to what you're feeling and what's around you and and you just put that loved one into the ground so it's it's when you cut off your hair you get to a little bit of numbing and 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 in tribal people see you in short hair then they know that you're going through something you know. So if you, oh, I mean that, I never knew that. Um, I can imagine, I think one of the stories that um, someone shared last week was about her, her father being forced to cut his hair off. And I think this yeah. makes me understand that. In a, oh, they did the, the tribal, or uh, tribal Indian schools that they forced the kids to go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first thing they did was cut off their hair. Yeah. And, Give them, you know, John Smith names, and yeah. <laughs> sorry if there's a John Smith out there. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> um, one of the the reasons that I, I you know, I mean, jokingly talking about the TVs, but that I wanted to bring it up is there the the way that I originally came to this story um, was actually an email from my husband where he's it was about Inlucites, and he said, "You do you know what's going on? You need to read this. You need to know what's happening." And I, I will be honest, I did not know what Inlucites were. 
So, and, and, and some of you guys I know know about this, but across the river from us here at the mouth of the White Salmon, you may have seen an area where there's some trailers and um, some tarps and various things and cars, and um, that is an Inlu site. And Inlu, which is kind of a funny word, right? I-N space L-I-E-U, Inlu. Um, and... I can, I can share about what it is, or you can share about what it it's is. In, in lieu of the town we were supposed to rebuild for you, you get to live in a third world fucking country. <laughs> so. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I, I won't get into a lot of this now because I'm not an expert, and, I, and I, don't, you know, I don't think Terry would say that she's an expert, but... Um, what these, what this site is, is a place where um, when the dam was flooded, I mean, when the dams were built, land was flooded, and so that meant villages were flooded. Yes. Right? And, and villages that were important because that's where you were fishing. Yes. And so the, what they did was they flooded this, and the government said, um, well, we'll uh, rebuild you a village. Uh, well, they've, they've moved Boardman twice. <laughs> to make sure that that city was out of the yeah. floodwaters. But, uh, you know, like I said, they're, they're, some of them are third world countries. You know, there's um, extension cords um, going from, from the bathroom to, to wherever they're staying, I mean, to, to a shack that they built. Or um, some of them have little RVs in them now, but they're still, you know, they're, extension cord after extension cord after extension cord and then somebody comes out and turns off the power and said ah, you can't live here for free anymore well no that's what they were built for I mean it was, they thought typically that it would it would be well if we just give them this little piece of shit they'll go home back to the reservation mm -hmm. and um, I just started reading this book and I keep restarting it but it's called Shadow Tribe Yep. And it explains, you know, river Indians versus reservation Indians and, and how that all works. And leaving the river is not, uh, not really an option for some people. Yeah. I mean, I know how it feels because I left. And, you know, but when I, you know, I came back and, you know, you're just, oh, you're home. You get to, you know, yeah, some days aren't pretty. And, you know, my worst days probably most people's best days in the office. <laughs> but, but yeah, back to the in sites, they just, you know, they've been neglected and they've been, um, nobody has, they don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. And so, it's important for them to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't want, you know, they want to fish. They want to, you know, there's spring, summer, fall, there's a winter um, steelhead that, you know, has pretty much died, but there was. Um, Sturgeon, I typically fished nine months out of the year and, you know, have a few weeks off here and there. So it's important to be by the river. Can't go back and rent an apartment and then just be gone for the rest of it and, you know, and there's no season. So that's what the Inlouf sites were for, what they're supposed to, and there's still, um, Still fighting going on, still Army Corps and government saying, oh yeah, we'll, we'll rebuild, we'll rebuild for you. Um, the one in the Dalles is the one that they are talking about first. 
But it took them, I don't know, 60 years to build houses at Celilo. And that's the longest inhabited village in North America. Yep. And they're like, eh, hey, they're just Indians. They're fine. Give them an extension cord. Um, I think I bring this up now because I hope, and I will continue the same, this is a very current issue, and it's something that um, we see. I mean, some of you I know launch your kites from right there by that Inloo site. We drive by it when we're on Highway 14. Um, it is very current trying to figure out what will go on. Like Terry said, um, uh, promises have not been followed through, and I think the Army Corps from last year, I mean, they've done their own research to say, yeah, uh, something, we said we would do something and it hasn't been done. Um, I think for a second there was some momentum and I think uh, recently funding for that was pulled. I Trump pulled it. Yeah. So it's back in a holding pattern um, but I would encourage you to at least pay attention um, and know what's going on because that is, those are some of our neighbors right there across the river. Um, and just a little, I don't know, just um, my sister, she's an amazing human being. She's, she's the nice one, just to clarify that. <laughs> but she organizes, Brigham Fish is highly uh, involved in the community. When we had the fire, we fed the firefighters for 16 days. That's Eagle Creek Fire. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then um, every winter, she buys and gathers and takes donations for... Um, uh, to bring around to the Inlu sites. Warm coats, gloves, blankets. I mean, last year there was a like three-year-old in a coat that was swimming, but she was so freaking happy, it was cute. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we, my sister does that, and, and, and uh, you know, if you wanna help the Inlu sites and the people that are still living there, that's something that, if you feel want, you want to. Do you guys to. do that through the market? So do you, do you Through the market, we do through the market and okay. through, um, intertribal enforcement and then okay. intertribal, yeah, okay. and crit fee. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Well, and I, I will leave it on, um, you know, I was talking with someone else who, a member of the Yakima tribe, uh, Paul Lumley, and I was like, God, does that just piss you off that this hasn't happened, that here these other um, non-tribal villages, you know, non-tribal towns have been moved multiple times and, and, and have been built some really nice neighborhoods. And he's like, I don't look at it that way. I don't look at it as, it, it wasn't so much, I guess I shouldn't put words in his mouth, but the, the message that I took from him was not at all one of anger, but more that those, village, those towns that had been moved multiple times for non-tribal members, that wasn't something to be angry about, that was something to point to to say, we can do it. It's not that we can't rebuild, because it's been done over here, so we can do it. So let's do it, <laughs> like, this was proof, the proof's right here. So. Um, I want to play one more thing um, to just sort of bring us out, and then if people have questions for Terry um, or for me, uh, we can do that. This is one last little bit from the um, tribal fishing episode with Terry Brigham. You know, I, live, I lived in Seattle for about 15 years, and I worked in the casino business, and I was indoors. 10, 12 hours a day, just working indoors. When I came back to Cascade Locks, it was, God, I'm here. I mean, just driving down I-84 and finally see the river, I was like, 
Yeah. I love what I do. You know, everybody has a different place that they call home. And I don't care how bad, how rough it is, and how cold it is, and it's just, <sighs> yeah, you're back here. Just where you belong. Brigham, you guys, thank you. Thank you. You're fine. So connected. Yep. Thank you guys. I'll let you sit back down. Um, if you need to go, you're welcome to. Um, I certainly understand babysitters and bathroom breaks and stuff like that. Um, but I also want to give you the chance, and Jesse, if you'll raise the house lights just a tiny bit so I can see people. Um, if you have any questions for Terry or questions for me, um, although you know, most of you guys know me, so this is your chance to ask Terry. Um, raise your hand, let me know, and I'll, I might hand you the mic if you don't mind, just so we can hear you. Hi, Terry. Hi. I'm so glad you're here. Thank um, you. <laughs> I would like to know a little bit more from you about what it's like to be a woman as a fisherman, fisherwoman, <laughs> I'm not sure how to say that, and whether you were uncommon in your tribe or the confederated tribes, or whether there are a lot of women who are fishermen, and, and how you find that. Um, I, I grew up, you know, when I was little, I thought everybody did this. You know, everybody in my tribe did this, and why wouldn't they, you know? And as I got older, I realized that there wasn't a lot. And there was a time that um, there was a boat that had my mom, my auntie, my older sister, me, and my little sister. And it was one of the few, if not the only, um, boat of just women. And granted, we had a smaller boat. We, you know, there was different things we couldn't couldn't do because we're just not as strong as men. I'm a little bit smarter, but we're not as strong. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I had days where uh, I'd be riding with my dad in a truck and they'd see him and they'd wave at him and I'd wave and they'd look the other way and I'd just wave even harder at him. <laughs> so I had that a little bit. You know, my mom went through, um, you're not supposed to be here. Uh, she just laughed, where am I supposed to be? Certainly not in the kitchen. <laughs> so it was, it was a little tough. Um, my mom did a lot of the legwork of telling people where she couldn't, couldn't be at. I mean, if you listen to the episode of my cousin, he was the one who said he didn't know what it was like to be fishing with a girl, and I said, me neither. <laughs> so, he's a big boy. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's gone. I guess uh, I surround myself with other fishermen who don't think that way. And if they do, um, I can't change it. You know, I just do my thing. And, and, and if they see it and respect it, great. If they don't, it doesn't change what I do. All right. <laughs> Any other questions? Giselle. Hi. Hi. Oh, excuse me. I'm also so grateful that you're here with us. 
Um, you pretty quickly made a distinction between reserved rights and given rights, and I would love if you can tell us more about that. <laughs> there was, <laughs> I did. Um, when the treaties were signed, I believe it was June 9th, 1855, um, we gave up a lot of land uh, to be put on a reservation. And it was a trade-off, you know, that that's, government wanted us so, so they could keep track of us and whatnot. And, um, but what every single of the four tribes that are on the river right now uh, made sure of was that they got to keep their usual and custom fishing and hunting rights. So when we go back and um, go try to fish, you know, and, and people are, oh, you were, you were given this season, you were given that season. We weren't given shit. We fought for it and continue to fight for it. And, and you know, we gave up a lot. Um, you know, we, there's seeded land that we can fish and hunt on. And then there's the reservation where some people think that we should still be. So that, that's what I mean by we, my mom was uh, one of the integral parts in USV Oregon where you know, the fish wars that she talks about, that's U.S. v. Washington mostly, and then there's U.S. Canada treaties. You know, it's an ongoing thing that, that affects each one or the other. But like I said, we, we weren't given anything. We reserved it. <laughs> Any others? It's your chance. Jesse has one, or you're, you're telling me, be done. Rep oh, David, sorry, David, I can't see you. Yes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> David asked, she who, who brought you in here? <laughs> David asked, why did Terry talk to me in the first place? Because it's not obvious. Right? She was persistent. <laughs> and then she was fun. I mean, <laughs> she asked me at the end of the day, um, she's like, well, well, how was it like uh, having somebody follow you around with a microphone? And I said, well, it didn't suck. <laughs> that's a vote of confidence. That's a real, that's a real Terry Brigham's vote. Yeah, so, yeah, she was persistent, and it ended up being uh, one of my better, I mean, yeah, I mean, Kim, Kim, don't ask her to do an interview ever. <laughs> She's just, call my sister, this is her number. She's not even shy about giving it out. But, um, well, that's yeah, because you don't have your voicemail set up. <laughs> that's as true. long as I have known her, I would call her, and, 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 and this phone is not new. No, it's not. She has never set up her voicemail. So, I mean, maybe I would hear back from her. Like, I would text her. Well, at the beginning, I couldn't text you, and I didn't have your email. So, I remember when you finally did call me back, I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm not going to. And then, you know, if it's fishing season, you're never going to hear from her. No. So, yeah. No. Persistent and fun. Persistent and fun. She, yeah. was, she was one of the better people I've had who wanted to know, wanted to know what was going on, wanted the information. I've had other people like, why do you do this? Because I can. I <laughs> she, she was a lot of fun. You were too. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, anything else? Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious, do you have three kids? What is your, what is, it came up a little bit in the, pod, in the podcast, what is your hope for them and potentially their kids in terms of continuing this tradition and 
and doing what you all do. I hope it's still here. I mean, the... God damn it, Sarah. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have a tissue now. Sarah's here. brother. I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> Runs in the family. <laughs> I just, I hope it's here. You know, there's, um, climate change is a real thing. And recently, I think it was Yakima and Lummi that had stated they wanted all the dams gone. I, I don't believe that that's realistic to even put out there. It would be great, but I don't think it's realistic. I think, you know, increasing the dam flows. September 1st, the dam stopped letting water through on the, on the Columbia. Bonneville, the Dallas, John Day. Stopped letting water through because they don't have to anymore to push the smolts downriver. But if there was some kind of consistent water run, you know, our fish run sit below Bonneville, getting picked off by the sea lions, seals, whatever those damn things are called, and, and by the millions, because they can. You know, there's no water flow. And then you talk about how it's, there's that blob out there in 2015. Well, they said it's coming back. You know, there's, there's water flow that could, I think, significantly help. You know, yes, it'll drop the river. But you know, we adjusted to that shit coming up. So if we get the water flow, then that eliminates a lot of the seaweed, the algae is getting pushed out, it keeps it colder, um, and it keeps the fish moving. So I mean, for me, I hope it's still here. I, I'm glad, you know, my two youngest ones are sitting right there and they love to go out there. Um, my eldest, she's like, when you take it, you know, when are we going? But I just really hope it's there and, and people pay attention and realize it needs to be taken care of. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to share one quick follow-up to my conversation with Terry. She mentioned that the Brigham Fish Market makes an annual delivery of food and warm clothing to people at the Inloo sites on the Columbia River. I checked in with Terry's sister, Kim, to find out more, and I'm going to get those details on our website, hereinthegorge.com, H-E-A-R, inthegorge.com. But the basics are the deliveries happen in December, and they'd certainly welcome your donation of warm clothes or financial support to this effort. And I know there are a lot of great opportunities to care for our Gorge community, especially during the holidays, so I appreciate you taking the time to consider this one. It seems like a simple way to support our neighbors at the endless sites. And just think, if you drop by the Brigham Fish Market and make a donation, you can also buy some tasty salmon treats for the holidays while you're there. It's a total win-win, guys. I also want to give a huge thank you to the most overqualified group of volunteers that I've ever had the opportunity to work with. To David Hansen for recording the audio from the evening, and to Michael Hansen for documenting the event and photos. You can find out more about both David and Michael at modocstories.com. That's M-O-D-O-C stories.com. To Laura Lynn, Katie Jablonski, Marla Harvey, Kim Zanmiller, and Becky Brunn, who helped the evening run smoothly. To Tammy Alcott, Jonathan Graysa, Amanda Lawrence, and Pitchfork Communications, who helped to spread the word about the event. And to our live studio audience. It was great to see so many of you. And lastly, of course, thank you to Terry Brigham and the whole Brigham Fish Market team. Sound engineering was done by Jesse Harkin of the Columbia Center for the Arts. 
And the live event and this audio was made possible by the Hood River Cultural Trust. Until next time, I'm Sarah Fox. Thanks for listening.